The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. nation's capital it's deadline dc with brad bannon welcome to deadline dc with brad bannon i'm brad bannon i'm a political analyst for wgn tv and radio in chicago and a columnist for the hill in washington dc you can read my column on the presidential race in the hill every monday just google muckrack dot com front slash brad dash bannon that's google muckrack all one word dot com front slash brad dash bannon my wrote most recent contribution to the hill is my take on elizabeth warren's surge in the polls after you read it i dare you to share it with your friends my company bannon communications research polls for and designs media-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. That's Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. My thanks to executive producer Mark Grimaldi who keeps me in line and makes sure the trains run on time. Our guest today in the first half hour is investigative journalist and Pulitzer Prize winner David K. Johnston. Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, joins our own Mark Romaldi for the progressive, provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-SIDLESLY. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today in the first half hour of the show. Inquiring minds want to know. Should a presidential candidate be required by law to release their tax returns? 2. Why is Donald Trump so reluctant to release his tax returns? What is he hiding? Third and finally... How did a man with a history of shady business dealings, bankrupt businesses, and moral lapses ever become President of the United States? Our guest today in the first half hour is David K. Johnston. David is a recipient of the Pulitzer Prize and IRE Medal and the George Polk Award. of the Make Donald Trump as an Additionally, founder of DCR Report, 
Report.org, a unique nonprofit news service that reports what the President and Congress do, not what they say. Dave is also the Citizen IRS Commissioner for the organization called Shadowing Trump. Shadowing Trump brings together 21 policy experts into a shadow cabinet that debunks Trump and his cabinet when they don't lead but mislead. That must be a lot. It's hard work, I imagine. It's sort of an online justice league, only instead of superheroes, they're scholars, advocates, and former public officials. You can check out David's website at dcrreport.org or shadowingtrump.org, uh, Twitter handles uh, at dcrreportmedia or uh, at shadowingtrump. David, uh, welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. How are you doing today? Well, Brad, thank you for having me. And just to clarify one thing, it's just DC Report. There's no extra R in there. Uh, DC Report. Oh, you're right. Okay. And we don't run ads. Okay. We're entirely public service journalism. Good for you. We need more of that than we have now. Uh, a lot more of it, actually, especially with Donald Trump as president. Okay, uh, let's uh, start uh, with this, David. Um, how did a man with a history of shady business dealings, bankrupt businesses, and moral lapses ever become president of the United States? Well, Donald took advantage of a couple of things that are happening in our society. And I've covered Donald for more than 31 years, longer than any other journalist. And Donald is a master con artist. He is the greatest con artist in the history of the world. So through his TV shows, The Apprentice and then The Celebrity Apprentice, he persuaded millions of people that he's a brilliant businessman. Uh, anyone who knows business knows the show was ridiculous. Uh, I used to, uh, when I taught graduate business students, we would sometimes discuss little aspects of the show and how absurd they were. In addition, there's a significant segment of the American public, my estimates around 30%, who really don't like the civil rights movement. And so they had a very negative reaction to Barack Obama simply based on the color of his skin. And Donald exploited these things, the weaknesses of Hillary Clinton, who was incredibly well qualified but came with a lot of baggage. And in his campaign, you'll remember, at every stop, Donald would say, I love you. We love you. He would constantly word this, this word to create this image that he cares about you. Donald is someone to whom you are simply an object to be used, and I include his family in that. He, he, he doesn't have relationships. Everything is transactional. He is an empty vessel, and he spent his entire life in criminal scams to make money. In fact, if he had simply been honest uh, about what he did and been prudent, he would really have $10 billion instead of something significantly less than $1 billion. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question then. Uh, I know uh, you're doing your part, uh, and DC Report Media is doing its part and shadowing Trump. But what you're, you, you say that he's con and I think he, I agree with you. I've always said that he's probably uh, the greatest con artist, uh, maybe in the world, certainly in the history of the United States of America. Uh, has the press given him a free pass? Well, during as soon as Donald announced uh, in June of 2015, that's more than four years ago, I dropped everything I was doing 
because I recognized that this time Donald was serious. Donald had made runs at the presidency in the late 80s and 2000 and 2012, and I realized when he made this announcement that he was serious and that the political reporters, the politics reporters who are paid to cover the horse race, not to cover policy, not to cover issues, but the horse race, we're going to say this is a vanity project and dismiss him because of what happened in 2012. In 2012, he ran. All the political reporters uh, treated him as a serious candidate. There were exactly two national journalists, Lawrence O'Donnell and me, who said he's not running for president. He's running for a new contract with his NBC for his TV show. And indeed, when he got his new contract, Donald announced, much as the country really needs me to be president, you know, I, my TV show needs me more. The po politics reporters had egg on their face. And I went to a lot of these people. I went to my former editors at the New York Times, uh, editors I know at other papers I've worked at or I've worked with through investigative reporters and editors, and I said, you got to pay attention to this guy. And I couldn't get anybody to listen. I even wrote an article in July of 2015, 21 questions for Donald Trump, that covered everything from his deep involvement with an international cocaine trafficker to his lies about his wealth. Only two of the 21 questions were ever asked of Trump, and they were asked by Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. The press seriously failed, and most of that blame belongs, frankly, on the New York Times, which uh, I know now what happened from talking to my former colleagues at the Times, uh, the attitude of the people in charge of the political campaign who were, frankly, not up to the job. They didn't have the chops for it was everybody in New York knows that he's a crook and a schmuck. They didn't grasp that out in the hinterlands where I live, for example, people don't know that. They just know the TV show. And so they totally, completely failed to cover him. The Washington Post did some investigation of him, but if you go back and read the stories, they're excellent for getting you to go to sleep if you have insomnia. Okay. Uh, David, we're going to go to break now. Uh, when we get back from break, we'll have more from our guest, David K. Johnston, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter and the author of The Making of Donald Trump. Maybe you can write the couple years, The Unmaking of Donald Trump, too. We'll be back after these messages. be doing my tax returns at the appropriate time. I haven't even announced yet. You know if you're running at a minimum, probably you're going to have to show your returns. If I decide to run for office, I'll produce my tax returns, absolutely. And uh, I would love to do that. I would certainly show tax returns if it was necessary. At least a couple of years? Obviously, it's not something I thought of, but I've, I, you know, I've given any real thought to, but I have no objection to uh, certainly showing tax returns. I want to tell you right now, I have no problem with giving my tax returns. We'll see what I'm going to do with tax returns. I have no major problem with it, but I may tie them to a release of Hillary's emails. Getting any closer to releasing your tax returns? Well, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about maybe when 
We find out the true story on Hillary's uh, email. Will you release any of your tax returns for the public to scrutinize? Well, we're working on that now. Very big returns, as you know, and I have everything all approved and very beautiful, and we'll be working on that over the next period of time. But we're working on it right now, and at okay. the appropriate time, you'll be very satisfied. Real quickly, when are you going to release your tax returns? Uh, probably over the next few months. They're being worked on right now. It's very complicated stuff, but we'll be releasing them. Your tax returns, when are we going to see them? I'd say over the next three, four months, we're working on it very hard, and uh, they'll be very good. The tax returns at, a, at the appropriate time. There's no rush at the appropriate time. I will absolutely give my return, but I'm being audited now for two or three years, so I can't do it until the audit is finished, obviously, and I think people would understand that. Obviously, if I'm being audited, I'm not going to release a return. As soon as the audit is done, I love it. Do you believe voters have a right to see your tax returns before they make a final decision? I don't think they do, but I, I do say this. Uh, I will really gladly give them. When the audit ends, I'm going to present them. That should be before the election. I hope it's before the election. And when the audit's complete, I'll release my returns. I don't know when that's going to be, but when the audit is complete, I'll release my returns. I have no problem with it. It doesn't matter. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes. When she releases her 33000 and emails that have been deleted. Is it time just to say once and for all the president is never going to release his tax returns? Um, we'll have to get back to you on that. Trump and, and the White House will not even give us a copy of the audit letter, an innocuous document. So I don't think there's any reason to believe Donald Trump is actually under audit if they won't produce audit letters. For the record, nothing prevents individuals from sharing their own tax re re uh, returns, even while under audit by the IRS. Mr. Cohen, do you know whether uh, President Trump's tax returns were really under audit by the IRS in 2016? I asked for a copy of the audit so that I could use it in terms of my um, <coughs> statements to the press, and I was never able to obtain one. They're to be clear, you believe Democrats will never see the president's tax returns? Oh, no, never. No, nor should they. But if you didn't see the tax returns, you'd think there's almost like something wrong. What's wrong? That, of course, was uh, lots of promises about from the president about releasing his tax returns. But, of course, all we get, uh, as usual from Trump, is double talk. Uh, joining us in this half hour to discuss the uh, Trump's taxes uh, is David K. Johnston. Uh, he is a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist and the author of The Making of Donald Trump. Uh, David, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. If well, we ever saw you. Donald Trump's if we ever saw Donald Trump's taxes, what would we find out? Well, we have seen the summary pages of his 2005 tax return, which I got and revealed two years ago at DC Report, and then later went on L Rachel and uh, Lawrence and uh, Good Morning America and other shows to talk about, but where we first revealed that at DC Report. Um, Donald's tax returns will show the following things. They'll show that he doesn't have income anywhere near compatible with his claims of wealth. Uh, they will show that he has debts that he wasn't required to disclose because of the weakness, which Donald himself has pointed out, in the federal election and Office of Ethics disclosure requirements. 
And uh, basically, we'll find out that uh, uh, he is um, uh, like the uh, the sad old man in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, once Toto pulled the curtain back, a fraud. Uh, he's certainly a wealthy man. I would dispute that for a minute, but he's there is not now, and there never has been any verifiable evidence he's a billionaire. And Brad, back in 1990, when I revealed that Trump was not the rich guy he claimed with his own documents, he went around for four months calling me a liar until casino regulators made him put into the public record his banker's assessment of his net worth. He was claiming he was worth $3 billion uh, in the morning and $5 billion in the afternoon back in those days, but he couldn't pay his bills. Well, his net worth back then was minus $295 million. It's a fraud. He's always been a fraud. That's why I knew during the campaign he was never going to show us his tax returns. We will see them eventually. We will either see them from compliance with the law that says they must be given to Congress, or if Trump is out of office in 2021, we will see them when he is prosecuted. Okay. Let me ask you this question. I think a lot of Americans wonder about his financial relationships uh, with Russia. The uh, Trump bends over backwards uh, all the time to do anything that is... uh, best buddy of Vlad Putin wants him to do, including uh, hold up delivery on uh, weapons that uh, we should be sending to the Ukrainians to defend themselves from uh, more Russian incursions. Uh, What what kind of, what's the story with Donald Trump and Russian money? Well, after Donald Trump um, failed to pay back roughly a billion dollars in 1990, Uh, Banks in America stopped loaning money to him. The only bank that was making loans to him of significance that we know of was Deutsche Bank. There was some lending from China Bank, but the Deutsche Bank is the one that matters. Deutsche Bank is the number one Russian oligarch and Russian criminal enterprise money laundering bank. They've paid over $600 million in fines to American Cypriot and, and German authorities for money laundering. And No one at that bank could have possibly agreed to the roughly $2 billion in loans they made to him unless there was someone in the background, unseen by us, guaranteeing the debts the same way that banks loan money to Donald Trump because his father said he would take care of the debt if anything went wrong, which in the end of the day, by the way, his father did not. And Donald's sons, in separate interviews, far apart, long before his 2016 campaign, uh, said they were getting lots of money from Russians. There have been several Russian deals that I and other journalists like Timothy O'Brien have analyzed that make no sense as business matters, but they make a lot of sense if they are payoffs and investing in him. And all governments, our government, the British, the Australians, the Chinese, uh, and the Russians especially, you know, invest in people around the world who they think can be useful to them in the future. Most of those investments never pay off. Uh, the Russians invested heavily in Donald starting in 1987, and they hit a grand slam home run. I mean, it's, it's like if you're a venture capitalist and you invested in Google at the very beginning or Facebook, uh, you know, it didn't matter that all these other investments you made ultimately failed. That alone made you fabulously rich. So the Russians absolutely are fundamental to Donald's financial well-being. And when I say Russians, I mean 
the former Soviet uh, empire, the Russian-speaking peoples in Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan, uh, Georgia, um, uh, Belarus, Russia, who are part of this criminal gang around Putin who stole the wealth of the, the old Soviet for themselves. All right, David, thank you for joining us. It was great to have you, and we'll be back after this break. Trump uh, first got into office. Mm. We were also nervous that Donald Trump was some sort of sleeper agent who was going to sell America out to a foreign power behind our backs. Uh. Well, it's throwback Thursday. Because <laughs> we just learned that uh, this summer, this was this summer, Donald Trump had a phone call with a foreign leader that was so troubling that it prompted an official in the U.S. intelligence community to file a formal whistleblower complaint when Trump was overheard making a promise to a foreign leader. Yeah. A promise. What in the To an world? unknown foreign leader. Thank God Trump never keeps his promises. <laughs> in fact, Eric, Eric is still waiting by the front door to go to Disney World. <laughs> Intelligence community is taking this threat seriously. Their inspector general considered the incident a matter of urgent concern. That is high on the intelligence community threat level. It goes, not a problem. Uh Uh-oh. Urgent concern. Chrissy Teigen attack. (laughs) Trump denies he did anything wrong, tweeting, Is anybody dumb enough to believe that I would say something inappropriate with a foreign leader while on such a potentially heavily populated call? Good point. No, very good point. What kind of moron would think you would make an inappropriate offer to a foreign country while you were being recorded? Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. (laughs) Evidently, uh, anything designated an urgent concern by the intelligence community requires notification of congressional oversight committees, but acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire has refused to share details about Trump's alleged transgression with lawmakers. Then, this afternoon, we found out that the whistleblower was referring to a series of actions that goes beyond any single discussion with a foreign leader. Oh, a series. Great. Now we can binge-watch the end of America. (laughs) Okay. That was late-night comic Stephen Colbert talking about uh, what they're calling in Washington uh, uh, whistleblower gate, uh, or the way I look at it, the uh, president's attempt uh, to blackmail uh, Ukraine into digging up dirt on Joe Biden in return for the United States sending the Ukraine the weapons they desperately need to fight off. Uh, Trump's best buddy, Vladimir Putin. Uh, But again, this whole episode is just uh, another indication of how low um, our president can go. Uh, It's time, as usual, uh, for a provocative progressive political panel uh, here on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Our guest panelist today is Kimberly Scott, she is the publisher of Demlist, a daily column dedicated to educating and informing the public about issues and events. 
Sign up for the column at www.demlist.com on Facebook or on Twitter at The Demlist. Joining Kim on our panel is, as usual, is executive producer Mark Grimaldi, who is a progressive political activist. Uh, Kim, Mark, how you all doing today? Good, thanks, Brad. Great. It's a beautiful day in D.C. Okay, let's start with this. We just played the uh, Stephen Colbert sound clip uh, on the Ukraine, um, where it sounds to me that the president is blackmailing the Ukrainians uh, to dig up dirt uh, on uh, his uh domestic political opponent and possible opponent in the presidential election next year, Joe Biden, and essentially the subtext, which I think is more dangerous from a national security point of view than any other, is that, okay, uh, basically, uh, we're not going to send you the weapons uh, that you need to defend yourself from Vladimir Putin, who's already sucked up about a third of the Ukraine, um, unless you uh, play ball with me. My question to the panel uh, is, do you think this episode will increase the public appetite for impeaching Donald Trump? Right now, only about a third of the American public think it's a a good idea to impeach the president. Uh, Kim, what do you think? I think, obviously, the American people are are weary of, well, weary of this presidency. Um, But some have said that this may be the incident that tips the scale towards impeachment, uh, because the the national security implications, um, obviously, um, but that once again we are faced with a case uh, and trying to get the records of a situation where Trump is bullying a foreign country into interfering in foreign, foreign elections. Uh, the new president of Ukraine, <coughs> Vladimir Zelensky was elected in April. Now, if you look at the overall timeline of this, there's a lot more behind the curtain than even what is portrayed on news now. Um, It's not just the the actual weapons that Ukraine's been waiting on. It's $250 million in funding um, that, by all appearances, has been held hostage while Trump and his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, have tried to navigate the situation to the advantage of Trump against Joe Biden, who Trump considers as his his greatest threat to his presidency. Okay, Mark, uh, it seems to me if you look at the press coverage of uh, whistle, Whistleblowers Gate, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the press has focused on the disturbing notion uh, that uh, this is a president who's denied Russian interference in the 2016 election, but is blatantly asking the Ukraine to interfere in the 2020 election. Uh, but I think uh, the national security implications here is that Donald Trump will do anything he can uh, to back up his buddy Vlad. Uh, and as our guest in the first half hour, David K. Johnston, said, uh, Donald Trump has been backed up by, kept his uh, business empire going through Russian money. Uh, you know, th- this is so incredibly disturbing. I don't even know what to say about it, Mark. What would you say about it? 
Uh, well, first, I apologize. My voice is a little hoarse today. But um, what I would say is I do believe that this is a game changer because I think that um, it is much clearer. Trump is on the call. Um, there is a transcript. We have a whistleblower complaint. The IG, which Trump Trump appointed, found this serious enough to pass along. And now Bill Barr and the Justice Department are holding on to the complaint, despite regulations showing that that should not be the case. They should not be involved. So to me, I, I you know, I could be wrong. Obviously, I thought everything that happened that Robert Mueller was investigating was going to be enough to get uh, you know, impeachment going. Um, but I, I also see backstories uh, of members, moderate members who have been hesitant to talk explicitly about calling for impeachment, who are becoming more vocal now uh, since this incident. And I also see um, that it's it appears that there's more pressure from the Democratic caucus um, to begin impeachment hearings. But besides that point, we need to have the complaint made public. It has to come to Congress, and that is just as important because that's going to reveal uh, more. And they said it's not just related to one call. It's related to multiple incidents. So, you know, we think we know, oh, it's all related to this call and this pressuring of Ukraine, but there could be more uh, information about other bad acts that Trump has done. Uh, And the other thing is this was he did this. The day after Mueller testified to Congress. So he feels emboldened. He feels like he got away with it the first time. So why not go for it again? So I absolutely think that they must act. Whatever is in their power, even if they don't think that the Senate uh, will prosecute and vote to remove him from office, I believe they need to do their jobs and to expose him and to have hearings on the data that is in this complaint. However, they need to get it. Um, that it needs to happen. And I think we're going to have that opportunity. Um, The House Intelligence Committee had issued a subpoena a few weeks ago to the acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, who is what our third. Yeah, I think you're right. And I director uh, acting um, to to request that script. Um, And he is scheduled to appear before the committee this Thursday. Um, And. I can only hope, we can only hope, that this will also tip off a larger investigation. Because, again, if you look behind this, the potential is enormous. So from the time that the new new president of Ukraine was elected in April till now, five major administration officials have resigned. In May, Marie Ivanovich who's the ambassador to Ukraine, resigned. In June, Fiona Hill was White House Russia advisor. In July, Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence. In August, John Huntsman, the U.S. ambassador to Russia. And then also in August, Sue Gordon, the deputy DNI. Um, so what is it? Which is the next stage? What is behind all of this? I think those are really good points, Brad, uh, by Kim. I wasn't aware of the the. Uh, two of those on the list and I wasn't thinking about it in connection I had known about Huntsman and obviously could be very related to uh, these complaints so I think that's a a fascinating point that Kim brings up uh, Brad heading into break 
as the bard said, there's something rotten in the Crimea. Yeah. We're going to break now with uh, for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. But when we come back from break, we'll have our provocative progressive political panel with Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, and our own executive producer, Mark Romaldi. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We're back to our we're back to our provocative progressive political panel, and now I want to switch to presidential politics. Uh, we've seen uh, two new surveys in the last uh, few days that show Elizabeth Warren surging in the presidential race. Uh, last th- Thursday, uh, NBC News and Wall Street Journal uh, released a new national survey showing that Elizabeth Warren was in spitting distance of Joe Biden uh, as being the front runner in the presidential race. And on Saturday, CNN released a poll of uh, in Iowa showing that Elizabeth Warren uh, is basically tied with Joe Biden in the caucuses out there. In both polls, Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders is lagging badly. So my question to the panel is, what accounts for this surge by Elizabeth Warren? Kim? I think it actually just, as reflected in the polls, comes down to enthusiasm. Uh, You know, she's a dynamic candidate. She's out there. She is resonating with the voters. The Wall Street Journal NBC News poll showed, uh, you know, Biden at 31, Warren at 25, both having uh, surged since July. But what we're seeing is that those national polls and the early state polls are starting to come together. The Iowa poll actually shows, which is by the Des Moines Register, actually showed Warren at 22 percent with a 7 percent surge since June, Biden at 20 percent, down 3 percent. And I think she she's making effect. She is connecting with the voters and it's showing. Uh, Mark, uh in both surveys I mentioned, uh, Bernie Sanders is lagging badly. Uh, he is uh, in Iowa. The numbers are 22, as uh, Kim said. Uh, Warren, 22. Biden, uh, 20. Uh, and uh, Sanders down to 11, which is a big drop. What's going on here, Mark? You know, uh I have some personal experience uh, involved in this because, as I've mentioned, I campaigned for uh, Bernie Sanders in New York during the 2016 primary um, and then also for Hillary Clinton in the general election. So I still was with a lot of the same uh, people who had helped in the, the primary campaign. And this time around, um, you know, I like all three of those candidates a lot. Um, but it's funny, a lot of the people, a good deal of the people who were Bernie supporters, along with myself last time, um, are now Elizabeth Warren supporters. And they still enthusiastically support Bernie, just as I do. Um, but it, it seems like there's a, a freshness to Warren. Also, the way she she outlines these big ideas that Bernie had, but she outlines them with these very precise plans. And I think that's a Appealing to a lot of people because it gives a specific way to get to these large goals. Um, and I also think she's 
now her her positives are coming out. She's not just this meme the media has created uh, as to as to how they believe she should be viewed. She's having rallies with a lot of attention, and her message is getting out there. And when that happens, and you see the way she connects with voters, and she's standing in these you know four hour selfie lines um, and filling up stadiums, it's starting to really rub off and become kind of infectious. And I mean, you've seen this in campaigns before, both of you. Once that starts to happen, you can get a snowball effect pretty easily yeah it's true uh, one of the things that was interesting about the poll done by cnn and the des moines register is that among uh the uh, democrats who said they caucused uh for sanders back in 2016 uh warren is actually uh has 32 percent of the vote uh, to bernie's 25 percent of the vote so there are more bernie supporters uh, from 2016 supporting Warren than there are Bernie right now. Wow. And I think the word is fre- fresh. Uh, Americans don't like, I think Bernie is running very much the same campaign uh, that he did in 2016. Uh, the problem is uh, voters like original programming, not reruns. Uh, so, uh, you know, and it was a big week for Warren. Uh, she had that big uh, anti-corruption rally in New York City uh, that drew big crowds. Uh, she was endorsed last week by the Working Families uh, Party, uh, Working Families Party, uh, which was a big supporter of Bernie's in 2016. Uh, but uh, as uh, re- one thing to remember about the Wall Street Journal poll is that, according to the Wall Street Journal NBC poll, only 9% of the voters had made a definite decision in the presidential race. So there's lots of room for lots of uh, twists and turns. Okay, uh, now I want to uh, end the show with some audio. Uh, this, uh, this week, uh, is, uh, climate change week, stop climate change week. Uh, at the UN today, we had the, uh, young woman, Greta Thunberg, uh, who was making eloquent plea on behalf of her generation to fight climate change. Um, and it's an interesting contrast because the president is up there too. So you have this contract between a child who acts like a responsible adult and an immature adult who work who acts like a child. Uh, but anyway, we have some audio uh, from uh, Greta Thunberg here, and we're going to play it right now. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. 
How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you are doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. Okay, that was Greta Thunberg making an Ellen complete to stop climate change. That's all for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon today. To women who hoped to evade the ticking clock of time, Dr. Frederick Brandt was the most potent drug dealer in the world. And the dealer got high on his own supply. From Imperative Entertainment and the team behind Broken Hearts comes a new series that will challenge everything you know about fame, fortune, and the fear of growing old. I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox.